This episode contains material that might be triggering for some. If you need to stop the podcast at any time to take care of yourself, please do so. If you need support, you can call the 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And And this this is is DBT and Me. Hey, everyone. Hi, everybody. So I have no idea if this actually sounds different in the recording, but FYI, I'm in the closet today. Kate is in my closet, you guys. We are physically recording together for the first (laughs) time since March of 2020. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. We counted because we're weird. And uh, yeah, eight. Eight episodes is mm-hmm. the total number that we recorded in person before a pandemic happened. And then we recorded a bunch of stuff that sounded real bad. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh- <laughs> and then we've just continued recording separately because yeah. it's quite convenient when yes, we you- live about oh. 45 minutes away from each other. At least, yeah, depending <laughs> on how the traffic is going at the time. Um, so, yeah, it's bizarre, but also... Uh, perfect in a sort of symbolic way, because despite the fact that I apparently thought this was true since last summer, because not doing good math, um, but this is our hundredth episode. Which I can't believe. I know. Hundredth! Hundredth episode, between all the Q&As and then all our, I suppose you could say our legitimate episodes, our real episodes. Yeah, not little announcements or the closing moments that I recorded separately, because again, see the thing about the episodes that's had terrible sound quality. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, 100th episode in person. I welcome any and all jokes about my being in the closet since I started it. Um, Because I haven't been since I was maybe 16. Uh, Seems a little weird. Um, But yeah. And today we're talking about depression. Right. Here we are being like, yay, we're so excited! (laughs) And we have kind of a downer of a topic. A little bit of a downer of a topic, but also really, I don't know, I I guess I'm a little surprised actually that it took us this long to get around to depression, considering, I don't know, I, I have almost no clients that aren't depressed, along with anything and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of depression in the world right now. Uh, so, very similar to how we did in the episode where we talked about BPD and addressing specific skills to go along with the different symptoms of BPD. We're going to do that except for with the depression uh, symptoms slash criteria mm-hmm. right, for um, getting the diagnosis. So yeah, the hope is that somewhere in there, you'll be able to find some things that are helpful for you if you like millions and millions of other people are dealing with depression. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that's pertinent. Oh, uh, don't diagnose yourself based on this episode. Yes, we say that every time. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Um, and also, you know, this is 
you know, like everything else Michelle and I do, this is sort of take what works for you, right? So uh, some of these symptoms may resonate for you even if you don't have, you know, diagnosed depression. Uh, so just listen and see what clicks and what might need uh, to show up in your life. And yeah, I think that about covers it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, before we dive into the different criteria, I'm just going to share a little bit about different kinds of depression more so than maybe some of the other mental health diagnoses that we've talked about before. I mean, we just talked about anxiety yep. the very last episode that we did. And anxiety is a very common human experience. Yes. We all feel anxious at times, even if, like Kate was saying, you are not diagnosed with any specific anxiety disorder or meeting full criteria or that kind of a thing. But yeah, I mean, we've talked about, trying to think of everything we talked about, a little bit about ADHD just yep. a few episodes ago, PTSD, borderline personality disorder, like you mentioned. We've talked about all these different diagnoses, and yeah, we say it every time, don't <laughs> diagnose yourself. And especially with depression, this is really also, like anxiety, part of the human experience. Yes. We all experience times of depression. depression. Yeah. Uh, so... Even if you've listened to some other episodes of the past, you're like, no, definitely don't have PTSD, definitely don't have BPD or whatever it may be. There is probably something from today that you can take with you because this is so incredibly common. It, it I just is. Yeah, I know very few people who have never had even, I mean, maybe not diagnosable again, quote unquote, right. depression, but like haven't experienced, shall we say, uh, a appropriate depression, right? Like someone Some died, degree. right? Like yeah. your spouse cheated on you. You're like, right. So your depression isn't an imbalance or a disorder or anything like that. It's just, yeah, very few people haven't had either clinical depression or, you know, depression based on life events. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, frankly, anybody who says they've never had that for even a moment, I look at a little askance. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you pay attention to how you feel? Yeah. It's probably been there at some point in time. Yes. Yeah, to some extent or another. So when we're talking about depression, there are really two different kinds of depression. And all of this, like when we typically talk about mental health diagnoses, this is all based off of criteria from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual Mental Disorders, the DSM. <laughs> DSM-5. DSM-5, the most recent edition from a few <laughs> years back. And in the DSM-5, they talk about major depressive disorder and persistent depressive disorder. So we wanted to talk briefly about the differences between the two before we dive into specific criteria. And the criteria that we're going to be talking about is going to be criteria for major depressive disorder. The key distinctions between the two is honestly, the length of time is a big distinction. Mm. So with major depressive disorder, the length of time that you, I suppose, need to be depressed, <laughs> it sounds oh really bad, <laughs> but the length of time that you need to be experiencing depression to qualify for that diagnosis, if you will, is 14 days. So basically two weeks Pretty much every day, yeah. you feel depressed and experience at least five of the nine things that we're going to be talking about today. 
So that's what we're looking at. It's a shorter length of time, but the depression is normally pretty acute. It can be pretty severe. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Intense depression for basically two weeks, at least. You can certainly be depressed for longer than that, but that's the minimum amount of time to qualify for a major depressive disorder diagnosis. Now, with persistent depressive disorder, the key word there is persistent. So we're looking at longer term, more chronic depression with that diagnosis. So for that one, the minimum length of time is two years. Yeah. Two years where you have felt depressed nearly every day, which is a very long time. But unfortunately, many people experience this. Hi. (laughs) Yeah. It's experienced this. And the criteria is a little different for that one because it... The, de- the severity of the depression may fluctuate over the course of those two years. You may have times where you're pretty extremely depressed and then times where it's more mild. Background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more in the background, but the signs of depression are still there. You're yes. still experiencing them, even if it's not to a large extent. So when we're talking about persistent depressive disorder... Um, so many D's. So many. I know. It's a tongue twister, right? Um, so I just said that for major depressive disorder, there's nine criteria. For persistent depressive disorder, there's six. And in order to qualify, you only need to experience two or more out of those six over, again, the course of two years to qualify for that diagnosis. So the threshold is a little bit lower. You could say, again, the depression might not be as severe, but it's longer lasting. So, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about the nine criteria for major depressive disorder today, though some of these criteria are certainly part of the persistent depressive disorder diagnosis as well. So, just to be clear about what, what we're, we're discussing. About. Yeah, exactly. What we're talking about. Uh, the other thing that we wanted to mention before we dive into the criteria is if what we talk about today resonates for you or if you have already been diagnosed with depression or if you know before we even dive into talking about the criteria. <laughs> yes, Kate and Michelle, this is something that I going through currently or have gone through before in my life. I am familiar with depression and I struggle with it. And I want more resources for how to cope with the struggle that I have with depression personally. We already have an episode about depression recorded in our other podcast called The Couch and the Chair. So you can search for The Couch and the Chair wherever you're currently listening to this podcast. And it's episode number two. It was one of the very first ones we recorded. Yeah, the one that's not the introduction to what we're doing. It's yes. The first yes. quote-unquote real the one. The first real episode for our other podcast. So, yeah, we talked about our own personal experiences with depression. Again, something that Kate, unfortunately, <laughs> has a lot more personal experience with than I do. Yes. Um, But we talk about our personal experiences with depression and just general suggestions and tips we have for coping with depression. So, of course, today we are... We're podcasting about DBT skills. We're only going to be talking about DBT skills for how you can cope with depression. But there are so many other helpful things out there that are not (laughs) DBT specific. And we talk about those more broadly in that episode for the couch and the chair. Yeah. Yeah. So 
launching into it, I let's, suppose. Let's dive in. Yeah, let's you get to go. talk about the first one, Kate. <laughs> Super cheerfully talking about. Um, yeah, so the first criteria is depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, as indicated by subjective report or observation made by others. So this can be, you notice that you're feeling sad, empty, hopeless, etc. Uh, or others may say that you appear tearful, things like that. So I would say that I don't know. This is the closest to if people thought of depression as one criteria. This this captures <laughs> this the bulk captures of the bulk of it. Um, and the skills that we thought of for being most applicable to this one um, first is well, second in the notes, but I think first because it's one of my favorites uh, is self soothe. Right? Um, depression, I would say, is one of those things that needs to be dealt with tenderly a lot of the time. Uh, right? There's a lot of hurt and sadness and just bleh. Um, and so when I think of emotions in that broad category, I think that, uh, yeah, self-soothe is a place to go to be kind to yourself and just, I don't know, nourish yourself through your senses, right? Um, I kind of think of self-soothing sometimes as being like what you might do for a child, who is experiencing really rough things, mm-hmm. um, right? Because we all, we don't stop needing it when we're adults. <laughs> just just to say, um, most of the same things still work. So yeah, self-soothing and then also improve, right? So this is one of uh, the, what do we call, salad bar skills? <laughs> Buffet. Buffet, that's the word I'm looking for, <laughs> buffet skills. But I also guess. like a salad bar. You're probably not taking everything from the salad no. bar and putting it on your plate, right? Pick and choose. That would be improve. a very confused salad. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, right, so improve is another one where you get to pick and choose. But this is one that's focused on, well, enduring, right? This is from the, um, oh, where my brain is go? Distress tolerance module, Jiminy Christmas. Um, and so, right, that's what it's about. It's about enduring something that's difficult and giving yourself a bit of a break from something difficult, right? So the, let's see if I can do it off the top of my head. Imagery, meaning, prayer. Oh, hold on. I'm getting there. Don't give it to me. Okay. Um, one thing in the moment. You missed the R. Oh, I did. There's an R there. Relaxation. One thing in the moment. Valid. No, brief vacation. Uh, and then, hold on. E is something about being nice to people. Uh, encouragement. Yes. Hey. We got it. Gosh, I mean, see, we've been teaching these for how many years, and some of these long acronyms are still hard even for me to just spout off without help. Um, right. But finding something in there that gives you a break and or is a bit nourishing to help feed you so you can continue mm-hmm. um, through difficult times. Yeah, absolutely. So the next one says markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. You're going to notice this verbiage coming up throughout the criteria, (laughs) right? This is directly from the DSM. So we we (laughs) we did not write this criteria. It feels important to be accurate with what it is, but they'll, they'll use that language a lot, right? Nearly every day over and over and over again. But basically what this means is that things that you used to enjoy, you just don't enjoy as much. That place that you typically go to, that you look forward to going to, maybe you're not looking forward to going there like you typically would. Maybe you usually enjoy, I don't know, 
reading and then you find yourself reading a book you're just like i'm just not you just don't care it's like meh yeah. it's <laughs> it's a lot of apathy yeah right mm-hmm. uh, yes and later i guess okay i can't i can't resist michelle i love the fancy word for this one anhedonia yep there i we go. love that word it's a terrible 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 thing to experience not to make too much light of it, it i think personally mm-hmm. it's maybe the hardest depression uh not criteria, but that too. Symptom, right? It's the hardest, to me, part of depression to experience is anhedonia. So certainly not making light of it, but it's such a cool word. Yeah. Right? Same yep. roots as hedonism. So basically without hedonism, just without joy, right? Hmm. Without enjoying things. Yeah. Um, everyone. Yeah. Anyway, anhedonia. Fun word. <laughs> yeah. Bad, sad thing to experience, but fun word. <laughs> yep. That, that is. That's the clinical term for it. And yeah, I, I've always liked that word too, ever since I heard it. But yeah, it's interesting to hear the, the meaning behind it. And yeah, unfortunate that such a cool word describes something that's so awful. not fun at all. That's the opposite of fun, really. So what can you do with this when you are just not enjoying things in the way that you normally would? The first thing that came to mind for me is ABC from emotion regulation, especially the A. Mm -hmm. So that A in ABC really breaks down into two parts of short-term and long-term accumulation of positive experiences so that you can have positive emotions is how DBT thinks about it. So really, it's this concept of you're wanting to make a life worth living and you're also wanting to find short-term things that you enjoy and take pleasure in. What I say when it comes to depression and this concept of accumulating positive experiences, make them as small as you need to. Mm -hmm. Because I'm trying to think of how to put it, but really making sure that you're going easy on yourself and not putting too much on your plate because of some of these other things that we're going to be talking about you as we go along. You don't have resources, so be a little bit um, miserly with how you spend them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a really good way to put it, right? Um, you're just, you're going to be more run down when you're depressed and it it can almost set you back to try to plan something big and grandiose Oof. like I know this is gonna feel good but then you do that thing and then it doesn't so start small with what you might decide to do dbt has a long list of 200 plus suggestions think, yeah. of activities you can do that are just things that you may enjoy something to get your brain going but you know it's it's really important, I think, to make sure that you're trying these things that you typically enjoy and also making sure that you're lowering expectations, recognizing that it might be a different experience when you're depressed, but that there's still value in doing mm-hmm. the things, if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Makes sense to me. Okay, cool. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that might be helpful along those lines, I really like the different components of accepts. However... There's a caveat there with this. Accepts was designed to help with effective distraction. So if you have something going on in your life that you need a break from, Accepts gives you the framework to pick and choose, like with Improve, pick and choose which of those seven things you want to do to be able to distract yourself. But I just kind of like the things in general when it comes to coping with depression. So the A stands for activities, which is basically what I was just talking about with the, the A from ABC. Yes. Yeah. 
that long list from ABC is the totally applies to the activities part of accepts. But the C of contributing, I think, can be really helpful if you're able to have that within you, right? When we're in kind of like a deep, dark hole (laughs) ourselves, it can be helpful to remember that like we are still connected to others. And we're valuable. Yeah. And we can still, yeah, have, have value and we can still be there for other people, even if sometimes we're struggling to be there for ourselves. And that in turn can like give back to us a little bit when we're giving to others that can feel good in turn. So yeah, I really like the contributing piece from accepts. Uh, the comparison piece, mm-hmm. maybe not so much with depression, <laughs> I'll be honest, but the E with emotions, that can be really helpful as well. I think there could be like some opposite action as part of that. And we'll talk about opposite action <laughs> as we go along here, because that's something we think will be helpful for some other aspects of depression. But you have the P with push away. That can be helpful to try to figure out if you can, in a way table the feelings of depression for a little bit so that maybe you can do some of those activities and some of the A from ABC. The thoughts part of it, which Kate loves, (laughs) that again, just maybe something to get your mind off of, especially if you experience a lot of rumination when you're depressed. So your mind just keeps going on a loop. Churning. Yep. Churning. That's a perfect word to use for it. Thoughts might be able to get your mind on a different track. Um, I don't know actually how I feel about the sensations part of accepts for depression. But there's definitely some pieces of accepts that I think can help in terms of just figuring out, okay, when I'm depressed and when I don't want to do anything because I'm not enjoying things like I typically do, it gives you some guidance on things you can do that may lessen the symptoms of depression, perhaps. So good things to try out if you're figuring out, yeah, what what can I do that might break through? Kind make of. through. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Uh, the only thing I would add a little bit is because, well, first of all, absolutely. You may do the thing and it still fall flat. That yep. is absolutely 150% possible. That's actually what this one is talking about. On the other hand, just a gentle reminder that depression is a magnificent liar. Mm -hmm. Um, And it'll sometimes do a very good job of telling you that that thing is not going to be fun. So just don't even bother. Yeah, don't even even bother. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to enjoy yourself. You're going to wish you didn't go. (laughs) it'll, It'll do a really good job of fighting back. But then if you do the thing, sometimes it actually is fun. Again. This is talking about when it isn't. So not trying to undermine this, uh, you know, the actual anhedonia, because that is its own thing. But sometimes depression will try and pretend <laughs> that you have anhedonia. But if you can push, ugh, right, like, this the to my just do it, right, yeah. <laughs> theory of things, you can sometimes find out if it's a lie. And I think that's a lot of what you're talking about, Michelle, right? If you try these things, mm-hmm. either A, it's still contributing a little bit to trying to tip the scales, giving yourself opportunities for things to be different, right? If things have been one way for a long time, we can be tempted to think, well, why try? Because yeah. it's going to be the same, but maybe it won't be, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, that was all. Just rem- yeah. remember that sometimes there's anhedonia and sometimes there's depression telling you you have anhedonia. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, which is not 
Not always true. Yeah. Um, and I thought of one more thing while oh, you were please, talking. Because yeah. this is something you've talked about before. And we actually just had a listener recently post about it in the podcast group, which is, or the Facebook group, excuse me, which is why I think it's at the top of my brain. But oh, the, the best idea, thing. Yep. The best thing. So if you do decide, okay, I'm going to pull out that list from DBT. I'm going to pick something from that list and I'm going to go do it. And like Kate's saying, you may go do it and... Uh, Eh. It may suck, right? Like, (laughs) you may not enjoy it. You may not like it. And if after you do that thing, you can think, what was the best part of that? Best doesn't have to mean good. You say this all the time, right? (laughs) Best doesn't have to mean good. But okay, if I decided to go for a walk, what was the best part of the walk? Mm -hmm. What was the best thing that I saw? Oh, well, there was kind of that cool tree. Okay, you know, like that kind of an idea um, so that, as you were saying, it can really start to tip the scales a little bit of I'm going to be intentionally on the lookout for something that better than the rest, (laughs) better than the rest. Yeah, I was about to say something good. But again, the whole idea is doesn't have to be good. It just has to stand out in some fashion. I like that you bring that up because if you're doing it at the end of your day, mm-hmm. so maybe not about the specific activity, but just about your day as a whole, you might. I I hypothesize <laughs> that with some frequency, the thing you tried to do may end up being the least shitty part of your day. Mm-hmm. And that can help you see the value in it too, right? right? If you're like, well, in the moment, I didn't feel like I was enjoying that at all. But looking back over my day, that was the time I disenjoyed the least that was not an english sentence disenjoyed but right yeah. get the, yeah. hopefully the point got across because <laughs> that was not a word uh right like this is the part i hated the least mm-hmm. right so yeah. like that thank you for yeah. thinking of that so the next criteria is significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or decrease oh jeez this is weirdly so worded mm-hmm. all right i'm going to try and pretend there are periods <laughs> instead of Commas. Right. So significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day. So this is basically has your relationship to food changed significantly. (laughs) Right. I either want a lot more of it or a lot less of it. And this could be causing me to gain or lose weight, depending. Um, I think most of us know whether we are people who tend to eat more or eat less when we're depressed or anxious or stressed in whatever way. Uh, so this is just that, but maybe turned up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, right. So that's the, that's the criteria. Perhaps unsurprisingly, one of the first things we think about is please, right? Please is all about tending to your body, right? Because everything, everything lives there. It's all in your body. All of it starts there, ends there. There we are in our body, right? So, uh, I don't know. It's almost like babysitting yourself a little bit, right? If you look at please as almost a, I don't know, checklist, but not mandatory that you check them all off, just that you're paying attention to them and making a reasonable effort, uh, this can help you remember, right? Like if you're looking at please and you're looking at the eating part, you can be like, oh, it's 6 p.m. and I haven't eaten today. Do I feel like eating? No. Do I need food to run this human body? Yes. Okay. I guess maybe I go eat some food, right? Or similarly, if you reach 6 p.m. and you look at your please checklist and you're like, I haven't stopped eating for more than five minutes since I woke up today. 
that's good to notice. I can maybe shift that a little bit to tomorrow, right? Maybe I check in with my please list a couple of times in the day, right? So it's not, it's not, 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 not about shame, right? That's not the idea. It is not, oh, I look at my please checklist so I can feel bad about what I've been doing or haven't been doing. Right. Right. This is, it's an, it's a reminder and encouragement tool, right? It's like, hey, these are all things that your body needs or doesn't need. Um, I suppose in the case of mood altering substances, sure. <laughs> right? These are these are things that help your body run better, and when your body runs better, your brain runs better, right? So this is just a place to check in, uh, maybe with something outside of yourself, because when we're super depressed, we are not always the best thing to check in with. Sometimes we need external things for people to check in with, right? So this is not. I'm stupid, I'm awful, I'm whatever, right, for not doing this. This is just a place to check in and remind yourself that our human bodies run our human brains and our human brains run our human emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so see if we can't take care of our body a little bit better. Uh, and everybody's different, but you might be surprised at how much of an impact just that can make. Yeah. Um, some people are, re I mean, everybody's thing is, you know, everybody's everything is rooted in their bodies technically, but some people's emotions respond really, really strongly to things like what they eat or don't eat or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Michelle talks a lot about being hangry. Yes, for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, as we're talking about it, I mean, please is the first emotion regulation skill yep. that we teach in the emotion regulation module for the groups that we do because this is where everything begins. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, don't don't shame yourself with it, but just use it as a reminder and encouragement tool. Uh, the other one that we talk about is basically, I don't know, mindfulness of that eating uh, and how it impacts you. Right. We were just talking about some people are more or less impacted. Uh, Michelle gets hangry if she doesn't eat every like five hours. Right. And mm -hmm. I have had struggles, especially in the last three years with eating. So I will sometimes be that person that gets to 630 at night and is like, wait, have I? Have I eaten? Right? Like, hang on a second. Let me go over my day. All right. So it's just paying attention, right? This is really mindfulness of your body and how it reacts, right? Okay. Yeah. I ate everything I could get my hands on yesterday. How am I feeling today? How was I feeling yesterday? Right? Did I actually feel better? Did I feel worse? Was that emotional? Was it physical? What if I pay attention while I'm eating? Is that a pleasure that I can tune into and use to fight my depression? Is it an ungodly, horrible experience and I'm now going to have to force myself to do it? Right? This is not a, like so many things, this is not a thing about right or wrong answers. Mm -hmm. Right? Mindfulness is never about right or wrong. <laughs> it's just observing, describing, and participating. Right? We're just it's noticing. It's noticing. Because then you can do things with that data. Right? If we don't know how we're being impacted by the choices we make, we don't have any particular reason to make different choices <laughs> yep. or persist in that choice if it turns out it's serving us well, right? So uh, just tune in, pay attention mm -hmm. and see how your body and brain react. Yeah. Along these lines, I'll do a bit of personal sharing. I'm of the belief that depression or not, I hope anyways, that more or less this is a universal experience of having a go-to food. Oh, yeah. So for comfort me, food. Yeah. Something that it's like, okay, even when I don't feel like eating anything else. Top ramen. I'll eat this food. That's what it is for you. Yep. Top ramen. Yeah. Top ramen would be on my list too. For me, it's Caesar salad. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but I will 
always eat a Caesar salad if it's put in front of me. How do you eat Caesar salads without me? I've uh, Every time I've, you've ever opened a Caesar salad around me, I have to open the spice packet for you. That's true. I struggle to <laughs> open the spice packet. I've gotten better. I've gotten better. Have you? But All right. That's what I would always bring to our DBT group potlucks at the end. I would bring Caesar salad and Kate would help me open the little spice packet that's in the particular salad kit that I buy. But that's my go-to. It's Caesar salad. I'll I'll always Yours eat is it. Yours healthier than mine. <laughs> yeah. Sure, I guess that's true. More nutrient dense. Right? Yes, I'm trying to avoid say saying healthier or unhealthier, yeah. but I'm not. My body is not getting as much yeah. from Top Ramen as yours is getting from Caesar salad. But I, I love Top Ramen, too. Um, but the reason why I bring this up in the context of us talking about depression is because if you err on the side of when I'm depressed, I lose my appetite and I don't want to eat. Mm-hmm. If you have a sense of what's my go-to food, what's the thing that, yeah, when nothing else sounds good, most of the time, this thing sounds good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And maybe try to make sure that you have that in your house, if you can, if it makes sense. Like for Kate, right? Oh, have gosh, some packets yes. of Top Ramen I have around. So much, I have so much Top Ramen in the house at all yeah. times. Because, yeah, when my stomach is really upset or I'm just in a really awful place, Top Ramen is always Yeah. Thing. And it could be a beverage, right? It could be if you have a certain kind of tea that you really like or something that makes you feel good. I mean, for some people, it might be the really stereotypical example of soup, right? Soup is a pretty comforting food. But yeah, if you can have some foods in your house so that when depression may strike, you have some foods available that, yeah, like if Kate's saying you're going through your please checklist, you're like, shoot, I haven't eaten today. Eating would be good for me. You have some things on hand that you may be able to muster up some desire to eat (laughs) if nothing else sounds good. So that could also be a strategy here that I that I just thought of. Yeah. Try to have a go-to food around. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, well, now that since we're just tacking on things, uh, <laughs> if you really, 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 really struggle to eat, um, it can also make sense to keep, and I don't mean for dieting, not like slim fast, but meal replacement drinks, mm-hmm. right? So these are not the diet ones, right? Yeah, <laughs> these you wouldn't are not... be drinking them for that no. purpose, but this to get like vitamins. This is like Ensure, right? This mm-hmm. is like Ensure. My favorite is Boost because I, mm-hmm. again, have been struggling with these stomach issues for three years. Um, and I like the flavor of the Boost better than Ensure. But the, it's still the idea. I mean, these were created for people who are like in you know, maybe hospice or things like that. People who really aren't eating and need vitamins and nutrients. You read the label on those things and you'd be amazed how many vitamins and nutrients they can fit into eight ounces of sweety, sweet-ish tasting, vanilla-ish tasting liquid. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, if you, yeah, if you if go-to foods don't work, uh, it's ideally you can force yourself to at least down eight ounces of a, of a meal replacement drink mm-hmm. to get something in there that totally. your body needs. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good suggestion. Okay, on to the next one, which is about sleep. So it just says insomnia or hypersomnia nearly every day. So in case you are not sure what I'm meaning by those words, insomnia is pretty well known. That's struggling with sleep, experiencing a lack of sleep. Hypersomnia is the exact opposite. It's sleeping too much. And there's going to be a wide range here of what quote unquote normal sleep looks like for everyone. I know people where they get six hours of sleep, and honestly, they're pretty good. Yep, Kate's raising her hand. Um, <laughs> like, they, they don't need as much sleep. And then there are other people, such as myself, my ideal amount of sleep is nine hours. 
So it may be, which I don't get anymore as a mom. No. Let me say that. I get, I average seven hours a night. And I feel quite proud of that uh, with having a six-month-old. But the number is not as important in terms of how many hours are you getting a day because that number is going to look different for everyone. It's just more important of recognizing for yourself personally, are you getting too much or not enough? So if you're not getting enough sleep, it's going to make it hard to function during the day. You're going to be tired when you're awake. You might experience... I don't know. I want to say, I mean, sleep powers our brain functioning. So you might feel really foggy, just mm-hmm. less with it when you're not getting enough sleep. And if you're getting too much sleep, guess what? Sometimes you can also experience those things where you just, you know, you're not wanting to get out of bed or you're sleeping plenty on paper, but you're not feeling well rested. So that's what we're talking about here. Probably not surprisingly, we thought <laughs> please would be helpful again (laughs) because again it's about the physical body and a lot of the different components of please actually affect how well we're going to sleep Mm -hmm. and how much sleep we're going to get so if you're experiencing a physical illness that can make sleep difficult or Or make you sleep forever (laughs) yeah yeah your body may be needing to refuel and sleep more your body may sleep less because yeah if it's like a yeah a medical condition that leads to experiencing chronic pain and things Uh, of that sort right like you're not going to be getting as high quality of sleep so that certainly affects sleep i mean if you're using mood altering substances that affects sleep (laughs) (laughs) for sure um what we eat and when we eat it affects sleep if we eat too close when we're planning to go to bed that can certainly make it more difficult to fall asleep or lead to digestive issues and things like that um one thing that can actually positively impact sleep that i think feels important to talk about is that there is a connection between exercise and sleep so if you have days where you move your body more often and get more physical movement They've actually done a lot of research that shows you're probably going to sleep better at night. So if you struggle with the insomnia (laughs) instead of the hypersomnia, again, depression can look vastly different for different people. But if you struggle with the insomnia piece of like hard time falling asleep, hard time staying asleep, try if you can muster it to do some physical movement during your day. And that may help. That Mm -hmm. may help you fall asleep easier may help you get more restful sleep and again that does not have to look like formal exercise we're not saying hop on a treadmill (laughs) we're not saying that at all but this just may be let's say you live in a two-story house or two-story dwelling of some sort this may be okay i'm gonna make sure that i walk up and down the stairs 10 times during the day not even 10 times in a row just like throughout the day if you're literally say sitting on the couch downstairs all day long okay I'm going to try to do that. Just trying to build in a little more body movement can really help with sleep. So that's important. Uh, We have a whole episode about sleep. So if you haven't listened to it, it's way (laughs) earlier on in the podcast, but I think it's episode number six because we were looking back at old episodes before this to figure out when did we actually stop recording together in person? (laughs) We recorded the sleep special when we were together in person, but we have a whole episode about sleep. But 
it's just some general sleep hygiene stuff can can help depression or not yeah some of this stuff again you may make less of a dent when depression is present you may not see as much of an impact or these things may feel harder to do still worth doing like we were saying earlier the depression is going to tell you don't do this there's no point to this Mm -hmm. there may still be a point to it even if you don't see the effects of it while you're in the midst of the depression it can still be helpful stuff So, I mean, you can Google sleep hygiene. There's so much out there about it. I'm not going to go too into it here. But in general, some really basic sleep hygiene practices are um, cutting back on screen time before bed. That's a big one. And also trying to not only have a general time of day where you get up in the morning, but also having a time of day where you go to sleep consistently. So consistent time to go to bed, consistent time to wake up. With depression, it can throw this all out of whack. And even if you are, say, waking up in the morning and you're like, I don't feel like getting out of bed, still try to wake up, if you can, around the same time each day. Even if you're just going to stay in bed and not do anything. Still try to wake up and try to stay awake. Same thing if you're experiencing the insomnia at night. Okay, I'm going to try to go to bed at the same time each night, even if that means I'm not going to be falling asleep for a while. I'm still going to lay down on my bed around this time every night. That's important. And if you are struggling with the hypersomnia side of things, a good rule of thumb can be, okay, during the day, I'm not going to be in my bed. This is also a common sleep hygiene practice is that beds in ideal world would only be used for sleep and sex. And sometimes that doesn't always work, right? Like I lived in a dorm room in college. My bed was my only place to be. So if I was going to read, I was going to read in my bed, you know. (laughs) I was eating, I would eat in my bed. So I understand that for not all circumstances will this work, but most people have a couch or a chair in their home, some other place they can be. So if your temptation is I'm just going to sleep all day, stay in bed all day, try to only Be in your bed during those hours that you've decided of when you're going to fall asleep and when you're going to wake up. Other than that, be on the couch, be in a chair, be somewhere else that's not your bed, especially if you're prone to the excessive sleep side of things that can come with depression. So those are some recommendations we have there. Speaking of words that most people aren't going to know. Uh, or maybe not, maybe that's not fair, but yeah, I think the these next are weird. one is the tongue twister criteria. <laughs> so the next one is psychomotor agitation or retardation nearly every day. Let's see if I can explain this well. <laughs> this is, I mean, so psychomotor, that's, I don't know, movement, but movement that's being caused because of what's going on in your mind, right? So this the is psycho piece, psycho of, piece it. of it, right? <laughs> like this is not like yes, I'm running every day because that's my exercise plan. Uh, right? This is like your depression causes you to move a lot, excessively, maybe even too quickly, right? There's a lot of yeah, go that's the agitation. Yes, side of agitation to you, right? Maybe you're fidgety, maybe you're bouncy, maybe you're right. It doesn't have to be like. It's not Tigger, right? Like happy movement, right? But it's, uh, but it is just a lot of. Can't sit still. Yeah, can't sit still. Yeah, Yeah, just think of someone being agitated, but 
you know, what that turns into for motion, right, in your mm-hmm. body. And the, or retardation is taking the quite literal definition of the word to retard, which is to slow down, right? So psychomotor retardation is that you're swimming through soup. Yep. I used to tell clients, like, you're moving, moving through, through mud. jello, mud, mm-hmm. right? Like, you just, you might notice. Some people don't always notice that this is happening. Some people have other people notice. I'll speak for myself. When I was I hoping was, you would. Yeah. When I was going through, um, after I had the miscarriage that mm-hmm. I had two years ago now, which doesn't seem that long ago, but um, I remember that the day after the miscarriage, two hours of time had passed and I literally had unloaded the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. And that was all I could remember doing during those two hours. Yeah. I did nothing else. You were just moving. I was just moving so, so slow. slow. And I remember trying to make the bed and Ugh. it physically took more effort yep. to make the bed. Like, my body was literally moving differently. Yeah, sluggish, but in a really deep way. Yeah. Right? This isn't the sluggishness that you you feel it. (laughs) You're not going to perk up as you get more awake, right? Like, Mm -hmm. this is just, you're moving through sludge. Everything just takes more time. More time and effort. Yeah. Yeah, more time, more effort. You're moving slowly. Maybe even you're talking, Mm -hmm. you know, speaking more slowly, things like that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> here's my, my, I don't know, guilty confession, uh, which is this time Michelle typed out the notes and I was looking through this and I'm like, well, I think I know what she meant by saying opposite action for this one. <laughs> so tell me if I hit it on the mark, Michelle. I will. I will. <laughs> I thought I wrote, read through all of them before and I was like, yep, all those make sense. And I'm looking at this go, wait, what? Uh, so right. Opposite action is about doing the thing you don't feel like doing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really in the end. I mean, it's, you don't want to do opposite action all the time. Sometimes the thing you're feeling and wanting to do is appropriate. Correct. Good. Yes. Do that thing or don't, whatever your mm-hmm. urge is. Um, but sometimes no, bad. Don't do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is not appropriate or this is not healthy. This is not going to help you, etc. Right. So, yeah. right. This might look like, I don't feel like I can do anything, but maybe I'll go out and check the mail. Like, I can do a little something, Mm -hmm. right? Or maybe this is, I don't feel like I can sit still. Like, I don't, I'm so, right, agitated and fidgety and and full of movement. But maybe I can sit still for three breaths, Mm -hmm. right? Michelle was really emphasizing this earlier. I don't remember on which skill, but doing things small, right? Small, small, small. (laughs) Start start small. Uh, Otherwise... You're likely to fail, and failure on top of depression is not helpful. Right. Uh, yeah. Sense of failure, right? I don't mean fail like you're a failure, but you know, if you set your sights on a goal and then don't accomplish it, that's just going to make depression it's set you back. worse, right? Mm-hmm. So, tiny goals, tiny actions, but actions that are in opposition uh, to the thing your brain and body are kind of telling you they want to do or what feels right. quote unquote natural Yeah. Uh, in the moment. Is that more or less? Yeah, that that was pretty much what I was thinking of. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to DBT doesn't talk specifically about opposite action for depression. Nah. This is one of the things I suppose we... I think they do for sadness. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. And we did mention this in the beginning, but, I mean, DBT was not designed to treat depression. Oh, true. So, <laughs> right? We're figuring out, okay, with what our understanding and our knowledge of DBT is, how can we see that it can help 
for people experiencing these different things. But yeah, DBT does talk about opposite action for sadness. And really what sadness tells us to do a lot of the times and depression tells us the same thing. Nothing. (laughs) Yep. Avoid. Pull those covers up over your head and don't come out. Like, yep. that's what it tells you to do. And especially if you're experiencing the retardation side of this, the slowing down that we were talking about, you are going to probably want to avoid things even more because it just takes so much more effort. Everything feels heavy. It feels so heavy. So why would you want to do it, right? And when... <laughs> You're practicing opposite action to sadness. Not that I have those specific notes in front of me right now. I don't, but (laughs) off the top of my head, that's the general rule of thumb that DBT was talking about is don't hide. Like, do the thing anyway, even if it takes a lot of effort. Because if we do something over and over and over again... There's a term for this that I can't remember, like a psychology term, but it's like when we repeat something, right? It gets easier as we go. Okay. Kind of inevitably, right? Like when we do something a tenth time, it will probably feel easier and more natural than what we did at the very first time. Yes. (laughs) I I can't remember the term for it, but that's kind of what opposite action is. Like if you do the thing, even if you're experiencing, right, this agitation or this retardation that might make it more difficult... The more you do it, even when you're depressed, hopefully the easier it becomes. If you don't unload your dishwasher for a week (laughs) and then try to do it versus like, okay, I'm unloading the dishwasher every other day. (laughs) I'm in the rhythm of it. Probably going to be a little, yeah, a little easier. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next one down is mindful movement. And I really love that because that's sort of bringing, I don't know, it's just bringing yourself into your body, into the movement and right neither too slow nor too fast Mm, right a sort of middle path i feel like for movement with this one right because maybe your mindful movement you know you have to slow yourself down if you're on that agitation side right if you're dancing i don't know rock climbing uh yeah doing any sort of martial art even just doing stretches right there's mindful movement in like i don't know tai chi is the thing that comes to mind immediately yeah (laughs) um or yoga or yoga comes to mind for me stereotypically Um, but also, instead of just mindful movement, this can be mindfulness of movement as well, right? And so almost any movement you want to have this count yep. for, right? Like just being making the bed. Yeah. <gasps> Sorry, I hate making the bed. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the difference between Kay and I, right? I make the bed every day. Uh, well, I mean, it's all right because I don't use a top sheet. I hate top sheets. Top sheets oh. are evil. And, and only exist to make making beds harder and to wrap around your ankles in the middle of the night, making everything impossible. So nice. I just don't use them. So making my beds just putting the blanket on straight and that I can do. That's nice. Anyway. Right. So, but it could be, it could be making the bed, washing dishes, you know, stretching, uh, anything really, any kind of, any kind of movement, bringing yourself into that mindfulness is probably going to help even out the movement, right? Make you be either less (laughs) agitated or a little bit more up to speed, right? So, yeah, that one I got. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Moving on to the next, which is fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. We've touched on this already in many (laughs) other ways, right? Because 
Kate, first and foremost, talked about the depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. We were just <laughs> talking about especially the slow down aspect that can come with depression. I think a lot of times people think of depression stereotypically as, oh, you're just crying a lot. You just feel sad. I've almost never cried from my depression. <laughs> Bingo. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> This actually what I'm talking about here of experiencing fatigue would be, I would say, far more common than experiencing any kind of sadness as we would typically think about it. Some people certainly experience that as a piece of depression. But not everyone. (laughs) Almost universally, people are going to check this box if you're depressed. Uh, so agreed. <laughs> we've touched on this already quite a bit, and so I'm just going to be repeating some of the skills that we've already talked about that we think could really help with this aspect of depression if it's something that you experience. Self-soothe is going to be really great here. The activities that you can do with self-soothing can be so accessible is mm-hmm. the best way I can think of to put it, right? The stuff for accepts can take a lot of work, <laughs> For example, the stuff for improve. Take even more. Well, it depends, right? Like it's not as mental effort. effort <laughs> yeah, it's more <laughs> mental effort. It might be really hard to get to thinking some of those things if you're really, really, really depressed. But self-soothe is like putting on a lotion that you like. Snuggling in a blanket. Snuggling in a blanket. Like, sometimes all these things that depression tells you to Cuddling do. Cuddling your teddy bear. Cuddling your teddy bear. Yeah, listening to music that you enjoy. Um, like, self-soothe hopefully does not take too much effort. Yes, Kate? Oh, well, so just the <laughs> smell one. Uh-huh. I don't know if anybody has ever done this, but it can be really fun to put just some herbs, fresh or otherwise, or citrus or other things like mm-hmm. that in a pot of water on the stove and just have it simmer. Oh, yeah. And it just fills your house with the smell of whatever you put in there. And smells can be very powerful oh, in changing right? our mood. If you do essential oils at all, especially, yeah, citrus like you're talking about, citrus boosts our mood. Yeah, like, we don't have to really try. It just does. <laughs> I was entertained. I did one the other day that was like, what was it? Fresh rosemary, thyme, and sage... And then lemon slices. Mm. And I was like, that smells really good. And I was like, actually, that really does smell good. So I ended ended up straining it and adding honey and basically drinking it as a herbal tea. Lovely. I was like, I wouldn't have told you that I liked something that herbal. Uh, But... Dang, that tasted good. So yeah. there you go, multi-purpose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it can be really smell and taste. <laughs> yeah. You can definitely use multiple senses at once. Because the whole reason why self-soothing is effective is because it's a bottom-up process. Yeah. You do something with your body, and then in turn, it may affect how you're feeling mentally or emotionally. So self-soothe can be good for... I don't know, just really meeting you where you are with feeling fatigued and trying to do something to comfort yourself while you're feeling tired. <laughs> ah, I'm going to be weird. Yeah. Not tired. Oh. Okay. Well, because tired and fatigued are different. That's true. Tired is like, like much sleepy. more temporary, I feel like. Yeah. Fatigue is more... I feel like sleepy as I want to go, like, or like tired as I want to sleep. Mm. Right? Like I didn't mm-hmm. sleep enough or whatever. And fatigue to me is so... It's like deep more and physical, right? It's like I can't do stuff. I may never not. Mm. I may not be sleepy at all, 
Like there may not be an urge to nap even, but just, it's just, bleh. yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that distinction. Cause you're right. As soon as you said not tired, I was like, oh, you're right. Yeah. Cause it's I can more feel than tired, tired without feeling fatigued and I can feel fatigued without feeling tired. Yeah. Good um, point. anyway, yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Yeah. That's, that's a good distinction there between those two things. The second thing we thought about for this, uh, we keep coming back to it because <laughs> it really is a good go-to skill for depression is please. Notice if any of those aspects of please might be contributing to the fatigue that you're experiencing. Maybe some of them are, maybe some of them are not. But if your please skills need a little bit of work, just in general, you're going to feel more run down when you're not taking care of your physical body. Yep. You're going to be more vulnerable to experiencing fatigue. So making sure that you are taking care of your play skills in a lot of the ways that we've already talked about so far, that can really help combat fatigue. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Uh, next one is... <laughs> oh, such a downer. I know. Such next... a tough one. Then one, I feel this one in my in my heart place, mm -hmm. uh, says feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt, which may be delusional. That sounds nice. Uh, nearly every day. I don't like their wording. I know. They said it in the DSM. They gave an example. But I think they were basically like, you could have all this evidence to the contrary that like yes. you're not worthless. Oh, sure. You don't need to feel bad. Yep. And yet. And yet. You're still going to tell yourself you've done all these things wrong even if you haven't all right well i know but yeah i don't like that i don't like the either. delusional thing because i don't want to think i spent 20 years of my life delusional <laughs> that's a strong word it is a strong delusional word. i'm just like not reality based <laughs> i understand <laughs> there's no synonyms, evidence but can i can i just switch it around in there just a little because <laughs> anyway right so this is I would say if they were going to say hating yourself, but in technical terms. That's kind of what this one's all about. Mm -hmm. So, first and foremost, despite the fact that maybe you're delusional, this won't work. Jesus, I hate that term. Uh, anyway, this check the facts, right? Check the facts. It, depending, all right, uh, let's see. I will talk from personal experience. Um, I could have done this for much of my life and had it not, like, work work. It's not going to be like, oh, I did my check the facts worksheet and that, that solved it all. No more depression. <laughs> right. Oh, I see that I shouldn't hate myself. Right. Like, yeah. But like so many things here, it's about small improvement. It's about improvement maybe over time. It's about chipping away. <laughs> right. At that solid foundation of self-hatred that many of us may have. Right. And so check the facts, even if you're just like, yeah, but... At the end of it, which I understand because that um, <clears throat> would have been me. Uh, it still has a place, right? You're still basically having to write down the evidence that you're not a terrible person. <laughs> and we process things differently when we write them down than when we just think them. It's a powerful thing, right? To write down all of this evidence, even if you're consciously dismissing it at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean it's not having an unconscious uh, impact right? Over time. So, um, yeah, check the facts. Thumbs up for that one. Uh, and then half smile, willing hands, right? Gentle, small changes. Half smile isn't going to make you stop hating yourself. On the other hand, 
it does, whether you like it or not, help improve your brain chemistry temporarily, <laughs> right? Same thing with willing hands. This is very bottom up, much like so much of what we've been talking about today. Mm -hmm. This is, I think, check the facts is the most brainy. Honestly, yeah, because squeeze is bottom up, yeah. self soothe is bottom up, and even yeah. with I don't know, improve and accepts, they're not. You're doing something, yeah. and then. That's having the an impact. New experience follows. Right? It's not super mm -hmm. brain. It's not a worksheet. <laughs> yeah, it's not a worksheet. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, uh, check the facts, half smile, willing hands. And I think also opposite action here. Um, how do I want to put that? So, if we behave like we're worthless, that gives off signals. I don't know, uh, that might lead to us being judged more harshly, right? Like yeah. the way we behave, Just the energy, kind of, right? Not entirely, yeah. but it, it can, it can be harder to gather that evidence to the contrary. If mm -hmm. you're leaning hard into behaving like that's true, yeah. even if it's not other people judging you, it's just you keeping yourself away from other people because you're this gross, worthless, awful yep. thing that probably ruins everything it touches. If you don't <laughs> think you're deserving of good things. Yes. And so... You don't pursue good things. Exactly. You don't pursue good things because you don't think you're deserving of them. And then that just further adds fuel to the fire that, like, well, of course I don't, don't have deserve. anything good. Right. Yeah, I don't have anything good. Yeah. Right. So, opposite action. Right? Mm -hmm. You may be like, well, I'm pretty sure I'm a worthless sack of shit, but I'm going to go to this party. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, party. Fucking... Gotta hate COVID. Anyway, uh, I want to be able to talk about normal human interaction and not feel like I'm giving bad advice. A party with all vaccinated people who could be wearing masks outside. There we go. <laughs> right, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do this Safe thing, party. right, mm -hmm. and behave as though maybe this isn't true about myself. Mm -hmm. right? And that's gonna that's just gonna shift what yeah. is in your life, what can be in your life. So mm -hmm. yeah, yep. Opposite action too. One of the opposite actions um, that I think about with this one, yeah. which doesn't really fall under please, but is totally taking care of our physical bodies. <laughs> <laughs> whatever this means or whatever this looks like for you. Um, you know, one of the really common things that people experience with depression is just, you know, simple hygiene stuff goes out the window. Oh, sure. Don't yeah. want to shower. Don't want to brush my teeth. You know, change my clothes. Don't want to change my clothes. Exactly. Do my laundry. Yep. Yeah. Especially if you're not leaving the house, you can really tell yourself there's no point in doing those things. I don't need to do them. But if you are feeling really down about yourself, and then if you actually, I think this would be in line with opposite action, but then you're like, I'm going to take a shower. Mm -hmm. I'm going to brush my hair. I'm going to put on clothes that I like. And that I feel good in my body and when yeah. I wear these clothes, right? Like I'm going to treat myself yeah, as though I have worth or value. Yep, exactly. I'm going to treat myself as if I have worth or value. And then we can find that, yes, sometimes we feel better about ourselves when we put in that effort. Yeah, humans like their actions yeah. to make sense to themselves, mm -hmm. even unconsciously. Right. So if we're doing nice things for ourselves, it is harder to believe that we don't deserve nice things because then why are we doing nice things for this worthless person? Yeah. You don't do nice things for worthless people. Maybe I'm not worthless. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, uncon more unconscious than conscious. Yeah. But... It's a hack. It's brain yes. <laughs> yes. I don't remember who's up next. Oh, it's me. Okay. I have one more. Then you have one more. And then we're done with the criteria. 
There's a lot of them. A lot of them. This is yes, going to be a long one. <laughs> so the next one says diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. So when you are experiencing depression, the long and short of this one is that your brain just isn't working as well. Harder to pay attention to things. It's harder to remember things. It's harder to make decisions. All of that takes a lot of mental effort. And if you're experiencing some of the other things like we've talked about with changes in sleep, changes in eating, your brain might not be getting the fuel mm-hmm. that it needs when when you're depressed to be able to make choices easily or pay attention to things. So what can help with this? We talked about this a little bit in the ADHD episode that we recorded recently because, of course, ADHD, the much more complicated, is, if you really think about it, it's, you know, inattentiveness. (laughs) Difficulties with concentration is a huge aspect of ADHD, the most common piece of it that people think of. And we addressed in that episode how, though it may seem counterintuitive, Mindfulness is the thing. (laughs) A lot of times people with ADHD specifically, or just in general, people who have a hard time concentrating, they're like, can't do mindfulness. Nope. Nope. I can only pay attention for like five and a half seconds. How can you guys think that I should should do (laughs) mindfulness, right? But mindfulness is all about exercising that muscle. We talked about this way back when, when we were first introducing mindfulness. It takes practice. You're not going to go... Let's say you don't run. You're not a runner. I'm not a runner. Kate's not a runner. Oh, God, no. We don't like running as our form of body (laughs) movement. But let's say you decide you want to start running. And you don't have a history of doing this. (laughs) If you set off to run a mile (laughs) immediately, it's not going to go very well. You have to work up to that. So at first, maybe you just run, I don't know, a quarter of a mile. I don't even know really truly how far that would be. Yeah. I'm going to run down the block and back. That's what I'm going to do. Right? And you work up to it. Mindfulness is the same thing. You're not going to be able to sit and meditate for 30 minutes if that's what you want to do. Screw that. No. 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 That takes lots of practice to get to that point. See if you can be mindful for 30 seconds. Just try it out. And the more that you practice this, like I was saying a little bit ago, whatever term that is that I can't think of, the more you practice, inevitably, the better you will get. Growth is not linear. That's important to name. (laughs) It's not like you're going to practice mindfulness 10 days in a row and each day is going to get progressively better, right? Day six (laughs) might be harder than like day three kind of a thing. Because you're a different human. Yep, exactly. And we are human. So we go back and forth and up and down and all over the place. But in general, you will grow and you will improve and make progress the more you do something. So if you struggle with concentration, practice mindfulness. Just make it as small as you need to, like we've also been talking about today. The second thing that could be helpful is using wise mind, specifically if you struggle with the indecisiveness piece of this, because wise mind is a really helpful tool for decision making. When we have choices to make, we want to consider both what our emotion mind says and also what our reason mind says. So we want to consider both 
sides of that coin in order to make a decision. When it comes to indecisiveness, there are things in life where we need to make a very quick decision. And we say things like, we say, for dear man, we say, don't dear man passing the salt. Yes. Right? You don't have to dear man everything in your life. You don't have to use wise mind for every decision in your life. No, gracious, no. (laughs) However, it may be a helpful thing to tap into if you're struggling with making decisions. If you've especially already cultivated a pretty solid relationship with your wise mind, you may just be able to ask yourself, what does my wise mind tell me? And have something come to you. Mm -hmm. So you have to do a lot of work to get to that point. But if you've done that work already, then if you are in a state of depression and struggling with indecisiveness, you might still be able to tap into your wise mind because you've already really exercised that muscle, so to speak. And it can help to ask our wise mind what to do and see what it says. So that's something that could be helpful there. Yeah. And they saved the... uh, The whammy. The whammy for last. Yeah. Uh, Not... We didn't order these either, by the way. (laughs) I do believe... Right? This is the order they're in in the DSM, This is the the order that they're in in the DSM. It just so happens that Kate gets this one, which is tough. It's pertinent. (laughs) And one that Kate has struggled with personally. Yeah. So this one is... Recurrent thoughts of death, not just fear of dying... Recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan, or a suicide attempt, or a specific plan for dying by suicide. I will say this before we continue, because I specifically changed it. This is the one thing that I changed. Ah, I didn't know if you did or they did. So they say (laughs) in the DSM, what they say is, or specific plan for committing suicide. So I'm going to give a brief... I don't know what to call it. I'm going to go up on a soapbox for a second. Yes, I love soapboxes. Go. So the term committing suicide is really outdated. Um, Back in the day, if somebody actually, I, I mean, I'm not sure where in the world this was a thing, but like if somebody actually tried to kill themselves mm-hmm. and they lived, yep. it was considered a crime. Yes. That you had tried to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the word committing, we typically think of that in terms committing of actual a crime, crimes, right? Committing yep. murder, sort of a thing. Committing theft, yeah. All yep, things. committing theft. And struggling with suicidal thoughts and struggling with whether or not to continue living is not a crime. So really try to erase that from your vocabulary when you're talking about suicide. It's something that's really ingrained. Also, don't say succeeded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, successfully completed suicide. Like, people people will say that, too. Um, but really try to change the wording around that. So if you have said in the past, oh, so-and-so tried to commit suicide, or, right, we hear this. Yep. We hear this in our world. I was actually really mad when I saw that this was in the DSM. Yep. This is the book that therapists use all over and this kind of language is still in in there there. that's not okay so instead of saying committed suicide say somebody died by suicide that's the best way yeah i think it really acknowledges it like as an illness-based action yeah we want to take away the stigma and the taboo around talking about suicide because it's something that so many 
people it's like, it's struggle like, with. Yeah, and there's this sense, like, when it committed suicide, right, that mm-hmm. someone, your family should be ashamed, or, like, it's an embarrassment, mm-hmm. or, like, you're going to make other people uncomfortable by talking about it with them. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, the ling- fixing the language doesn't immediately fix all that, but it gives us a step mm-hmm. in the right direction. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, as Michelle mentioned, I have a long and... Uh, arduous uh, history with this symptom, um, including uh, suicide. Well, at least one uh, solid attempt. I never know how to talk about it because I made attempts as a child that were never going to work, but I didn't Mm. know because I was a kid. So it's like, do those count as serious attempts when it was never, ever, ever going to work? Mm. Uh, eh, At least one. Um, right. And, and certainly struggled with suicidal ideation for a huge proportion of my life. Um, I mean, and I'll be honest, I still suffer from bouts of major depression and uh, still on occasion, I will have suicidal ideation. It's much fewer and farther between. I'm very grateful to say. Um, but it's a feeling I'm well familiar with. Uh, so the first, it seems weird sometimes to say skill. The first thing that we recommend, I mean, it is a skill, uh, is pros and cons, right? We've talked about this, I think, most of the time vis-a-vis self-harm, right? And so I'm sure you guys have heard me talk about uh, the fact that I like that it gives a place for the pros, right, of the thing. Most, I don't know, most, even pros and cons, you'd think it does, but it just doesn't give enough space for... Oh, pros and cons that's not DBT yes. style. Yep. Yeah. Right. So DBT style pros and cons allows you to have a space where you can honestly report, I guess, mm-hmm. like why you want to do the thing, what you yeah. have gotten out of it, if it's something like self-harm or what you think you will get out of it, if it's something like suicide. Right. So I would highly encourage everyone to be honest uh, if they do decide to do this, honest with themselves. Right. Uh, And that's going to be both ways. One, I understand how shameful it can feel to write down or admit why you want to die. Right? Like, that can be a hard thing to put on paper. Um, But it's important because that's part of the picture, right? It's... And it's being honest with yourself. And it's, it's, it's almost... I think this is probably a controversial view, but I think it's a little healing to give yourself space for it, Mm -hmm. right? It's something that so many people want to keep hushed from. I don't want to scare my friends. I don't want to hurt my family by making them feel guilty. I don't want my therapist to think they're doing a bad job. I don't want to, right? And so we have so much pent up around it that it can be like a little bit of an emotional exhalation Mm -hmm. from holding our breath, right? To have a space for that. The other side is to be honest about why stay, mm-hmm. right? And tr- and that, like, spend some fucking time, yeah. right? Because depression is a liar, right? So the first time you think to yourself, well, why should I live, right? What's the point? What are the pros of deciding, you know, not to kill myself? Uh, your pre- depression is probably going to be like, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no reasons. Move along, right? Because let's be frank, that's a big reason why we're thinking about it, mm-hmm. right? It- planning maybe even right so don't just listen to the first answer right uh sit with yourself and really try to 
be fully honest, right? If you're giving yourself full honesty about why leave, try and give yourself full honesty about why stay. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to put down the things other people say, but you can turn to them if you think it would be helpful. Mm-hmm. If you have family members, if you have friends, if you have a therapist that you've talked about this stuff with, you know, they have probably tried to proffer reasons for you not to die. Uh, and so you can look at those and select ones from that that you want to put on the list once you've looked at it. Um, I recommend not just putting things other people have said uh, because it can feel really icky to think that the only reason you're alive is for other people. Right? So try and think of your own reasons as much as possible uh, and be honest with yourself in both places. So hard task. Harder than I think a lot of the pros and cons can be. Um but also, you know, uh, we think, <laughs> hopefully, helpful. Um, so, yeah, pros and cons as thing one. And thing two is using give with yourself, especially the validation bit, right? This is, how do I put this? Uh, give is self-soothing, but for your brain instead of your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right? That's what this validation is, right? This is this is trying to give to your emotional self, your your mental self, the kind of tenderness and care that you're giving your physical body when you do self-soothing. So, you know, because also when you're that, when you're really thinking about dying, wanting to die, trying to die, you need that, you need tenderness, you need care, you need self-soothing for your brain because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you're not getting enough of it actually I amusingly like that that's less last because I know you're going to do the awkward self-promotion mm-hmm. but I think the idea of give for your brain is exactly what the closing moment is now that I think about <laughs> it <laughs> in those terms I mean maybe not precisely but it slides right in there nicely it does. <laughs> as a transition so that's a good way to think about it yeah, yeah. So anyway, awkward self-promotion time. It is awkward self-promotion time. Yeah, we got through all nine criteria. We did it. Cheerful subject for our hundredth episode. Lordy mercy. Uh, But we do have something cheerful here, which is that we have three new patrons to shout out, which is wonderful. So we are going to be shouting out Heather, Kelsey, and Peachy. Thank you, all three of you, for becoming patrons. It never ceases to warm my heart. Yes, it's a great thing. If you were to become a patron and support the podcast like the three of them did, you can go to patreon.com slash dbt and me. You can also check out our Etsy shop, which is etsy.com slash shop slash dbt and me. Basically, just go to Etsy and search for There's not a lot of dbt stuff on Etsy. I've looked. (laughs) Yeah, just search for dbt and me on Etsy and you will find us. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, uh, leave us a rating or write us a review. We really appreciate any and all feedback about how things with the podcast are impacting you or things we could do differently. So we really appreciate anything that you leave us there. And then send us emails, dbtmepodcast at gmail.com, because we love to hear from people. We really do. Yeah. (laughs) It, It makes me so happy every time we get an email. I love it. And we mentioned this early on in the episode because we have an episode all about depression on our other podcast but if you haven't already you can check out our other podcast called the couch and the chair where we do a lot of 
personal sharing yes. and talk about non-DBT therapy stuff. So yeah, DBT is super helpful. And we love other it. things are really and helpful we are, too. And we are broader therapists than that. Yes, don't we know. don't just yeah. do DBT day in and day out. We do other things too. And we talk about the yeah. other things that we do on, <laughs> on that podcast. Yeah. All right. I have to figure out how, how I want to sit comfortably. Now. Yeah. And I'm going to do closing moment with you in the same oh. room. Because we mentioned this way long ago on the podcast, but I do all the closing moments in the sense of I'm yeah. closing my eyes. Which is nice because I'm not just talking and... to myself. I can see someone yes. like listening, yep. which is nice. So, yeah, as per usual, start by getting into some sort of comfortable position for yourself. Sitting, standing, laying down, walking about. Whatever feels good and right to you in this moment. And if you're safe and feel comfortable doing so, I invite you to go ahead and close your eyes. As per usual, we're going to begin by just noticing our breath. You don't have to breathe any more deeply or any more slowly than you are naturally. It's just about paying attention. It's about tuning in to the rhythms and the sensations of your breath. And letting them welcome you into the present moment and into your body. So today for the meditation, if you're comfortable doing so, I would ask you to put a hand over your heart. Bonus points for if you can manage to touch your own skin. Our bodies notice when we have skin-to-skin -skin contact, even if it's from ourselves. So with your hand on your heart... In just a moment, I'm going to have a few phrases, and I'd like you to repeat them to yourself. You can do this in your mind, or if you're in a place where you feel comfortable doing so, you can also repeat these things out loud. Um, I will put a little warning out that I expect that some of this will feel uncomfortable, and that's okay. Right? This is a pushback against a lot of the really painful things we say to ourselves or think about ourselves, whether or not you're someone who struggles with depression. So, hand on your heart, present in your body. Repeat after me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Again, speaking to yourself, thinking about all the harm that you have dealt yourself. Repeating, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And one more time, sinking into it as much as you can. Whether in this moment this feels fully honest or not, it is still an important thing to try and give yourself. So repeating again, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Stay in this space for a moment and just breathe. 
noticing whatever's coming up in your body, whatever thoughts might be coming up in your mind, whatever emotions may be arising in your heart in response to those phrases. If you're taking away something comforting, try and hold on to it. If it helps in the rest of your day, you might try putting your hand back over your heart to remind yourself of these phrases, or maybe even repeat them again. But for now, you can take your hand off your heart if you're ready. You can stretch or move whatever feels good and right to your body to help you come back into the present moment and into the room. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, everybody. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.